Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily. I'm Derek Terry, joined by Kalen Harris on this fine Monday evening. Kalen, how are you today? Well, I was doing great until the World Cup, uh, until the U.S. squandered their 1-0 lead and ended up, ended up uh, with a draw. So I'm a little salty right now, to be honest. Well, uh, I think I heard the stat, though, on the post game. I think it's still like 56% of teams that draw still advance to the round of 16. So we'll yeah, see. but I liked 86 better than 56. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd take those odds, too. Uh, Especially when you're the better team. That's what was frustrating. Like, oh, but whatever. We won't bombard everybody with soccer talk, but I do want to get your opinion. Because to me, this really snuck up. I mean, I was a big summer World Cup bandwagon fan, but how do you – what do you think about having this in November? I know it was kind of weird circumstances with it being uh, all the bribery or whatever that took place with FIFA putting it in Qatar. But uh, you think that – I think uh, in terms of American culture, I do think it hurts having it right in the middle of college football and college basketball and NFL, of course. Yeah, I mean, I loved having it today on a Monday, to be honest. I thought that was awesome. Like Thanksgiving week, you know, I was kind of excited about it. Friday, I'm pretty excited about it also, like uh, Black Friday. So I, I don't I don't have any negative thoughts on that. Now, if it were on a Saturday while we're playing, you know, college football or a Sunday with the NFL football, then, yeah, I, there's some issue there for sure. So, man, I don't know. Um, we're such a – I mean, I guess marketing dollars were a big player for this, and they, they wanted this in the world the world cup this time but i mean as in terms of like viewership and stuff i would imagine we're not anywhere near the top i don't know that but that's just a guess no i'd say you're probably right there well let's hop into uh what we'll be discussing today and that's the university of kentucky football program we're uh probably not talk too much basketball if at all um Kaylin, kentucky was a 16 to 6 loser against georgia the number one team in the country on Saturday, uh, Kentucky held Georgia well below its season average. It came into the game averaging 40 points per game. Unfortunately, as probably would have been predicted, Kentucky did. Uh, they were held under the season average, though. Offensively, Georgia, I think, was only giving up something like 11 points per game, which what a luxury to lose a uh, historical defense last year and then come right back the next year and still uh, only allow 11 points per game. But, Kalen, um I'm going to open this up to you to kind of take this wherever you want, because I know people have said, and I would agree to an extent, folks have moved past the moral victory stage, but I felt like people were maybe surprisingly upbeat after what happened on Saturday, knowing that it was not a complete bloodbath. Well, I know, I know I was my biggest concern after the Vanderbilt game. I mean, you, you know, when things go bad, you start to hear a lot of different things and, we had heard rumblings about issues in the locker room and, you know, things like that. So that was my biggest concern. I think if that were true and if there were a, if there was starting to be a culture issue that they would have gotten run out on Saturday. And so I'm not necessarily happy at the result. I'm just happy at how we competed. I mean, like you can't look at that game and say that that they didn't leave it all on the field that they didn't um that they didn't bring it they weren't ready to play that they I mean they were that was a very 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 inspired effort and especially look I mean Georgia has been great in the on around the goal line in the red zone this year um Stetson Bennett has looked like a guy that should be a Heisman contender he threw for you know less than 200 yards we held them in goal line situations multiple times and they scored what one touchdown the whole game. I mean, you got to feel pretty good about that at the end of the day, um, just about the direction, you know, when you're talking, Oh, is it a, a program crippling loss to Vanderbilt? Things like you know, all the overreactions that you hear, I think you can walk away, not necessarily being happy losing by 10, but saying, okay, like we competed and we're still with the issues we've had, you know, play calling, offensive line, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say, we, we, we were right in that game until the very end with the number one team in the country. So I, you have to feel okay coming out of that, I would think. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of the same way. Um, 
you know, even right there at the very start of the game, you get backed up, weird fair catch thing, put the ball on the floor to start the game, you get a penalty <laughs> to back you up, and you're basically starting in the in the shadow of your own end zone and and somewhat of a sign of what was to come. I mean, Will hits Barry on for a long game, and, uh, you know, you had a chance there. Move the ball, and up getting stopped in fourth down, and then the very next drive as well, after you hold uh, Georgia to a field goal in the red zone, you go down, and Will throws a pick in the end zone. I mean, it's two drives right there where you had some momentum. Got a little rough after that, uh, from what I remember, until the fourth quarter. But I went into that game really concerned that Kentucky – wouldn't really have a pulse at all. And even, I mean, it's been, you know, an issue all season, red zone turnovers, moving the ball, but not actually getting points because you either get stopped or you miss a field goal, whatnot. Uh, That happened again on Saturday. But I I do think overall it felt like they got off the mat. You had those two red zone stops, which I thought were – that really did show a lot of heart, I thought, uh, from the defense to to man up right there and get a stop and hold them out of the end zone. Uh, You know, multiple times you got stops. I mean, even – uh, after the missed field goal, right? Kentucky got a stop on third and one and got the ball yeah. back and then didn't do anything with it after that. But still, uh, I was texting my buddy uh, who, who covers Georgia and, and grew up in Georgia and whatnot, and he texted me after and said, you know, Kentucky could have won that game because, you know, they didn't feel like Georgia played all that great, and I think you got to give Kentucky credit for some of that. But you're right, you're talking about Stetson. I mean, he threw for 116 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick on 13 and 19 passing. They did run the ball effectively, I thought, uh, especially McIntosh. I don't know what his season numbers were, but he was awesome. He averaged uh, 7.5 yards per carry. He was really good that game. But um, when we do talk about Kentucky, though, it was not all that surprising to me that they struggled to run the ball. It's just how it's going to be. Even in the years where Kentucky's offensive line was really good, they struggled to run the ball against Georgia. So not surprised that it went that way. But with Barry on Brown, I think he's kind of where I would like to lead this thing next. Yeah, Kentucky didn't look out of place. I'll say they they did. They didn't look. They looked like they belonged in the game. So yeah, Um, they had chances for sure on offense, and a a big reason for that I think was Barry on multiple long catches. He ended up catching ten passes on thirteen targets for one hundred and forty-five yards, and then of course he (laughs) caught the fourth and three touchdown. Um, This was against Georgia too, and I thought it was huge for Barry on as a freshman last week to have one catch for negative one yards. And yeah. I think he'd kind of been trending that way. I can't even remember the last time he scored a touchdown, honestly, in a game. Do you remember? I don't remember the last no, time. No, I don't either. It's it seems like it's been a minute. Um, yeah, I mean, he had the big he had a bunch of big plays against uh Ole Miss. And then it seems like kind of from then it's been, you know, fairly you know, they throw him he catches one or two passes uh for ten or twelve yards and then they throw two or three screens to him and you know. Not much happened. So, yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. You just sent him vertical. Uh, I mean, three long. As long as 47, I'm, I'm on stat broadcast. I can't tell what some of his other receptions are. Oh, here we go. Uh, well, he was also the target on the uh, interception when Tringo made a good play. I don't know exactly how many were, were – he averaged 14 yards a catch. So, he had a great day. For what it's worth, I know he's been one of the guys all season that people have just been frantic about losing. And uh, that's maybe one part of this new college football world that's not fun at all is that he seems like a majority, not, not a majority, some in the fan base are like holding their breath anytime this kid makes a play because they're worried about losing him to Alabama next year. But if you're into this sort of thing, apparently he got on Instagram live after the game and reiterated once again that he's not going anywhere after this year ultimately we'll see i mean we'll see what happens but uh a couple other freshmen i thought did well Danky, i mean not huge numbers two catches for 23 yards but then caitlin you look at who caught passes on saturday they didn't have a single guy who was at receiver i guess you would say or tied in the only guys who caught passes were, were freshmen either red shirt or true jordan wow. Dingle had, uh, one catch for eight yards and before Caddis was, Caddis so was impressive. for as much um and rightfully so i would say for as much has been talked about Rich Gangarello. The play that they ran in the fourth quarter that was just slightly overthrown the dingle, I thought was one of the more creative play calls that Scangarello's had this year with the uh, fake to screen, I think kind of like to both sides. And they kind of sent Dingle up the middle uh, on a delay. And it was there for a game. Unfortunately, it was a little overthrown. Dingle couldn't go up and get it. But you mentioned Caddis. He had two catches uh, for 29 yards. And then Dan Key had two catches for 23 yards, also drew a pass interference call there in the fourth quarter. Um, 
I think, on the drive that ended up on the missed field goal. So that was a complete youth movement against the best team in the country. And I think a lot to be excited about moving forward. That should be a good confidence booster, I think, for those guys going into the Governor's Cup on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And it should be a huge neon sign pointing for transfer portal quarterbacks like, hey, if you want to come to a program where you've got some weapons, this is the spot. And for offensive linemen, too, for that matter. I mean, you know, offensive linemen want to play with 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 other good players and with skill position guys behind them that can do some things. So, yeah, uh, I just I think that's that's kind of incredible. And that's not something we really expected coming into this season at all. Like it's, I don't know, that's kind of been a revelation uh, of the season. But, yeah, going into the Louisville game, they've got to feel a lot better. Uh, we scored six points, didn't score a touchdown. So, you know, we got to keep it in check a little bit here. Scored one touchdown. Oh, yeah, scored, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, scored scored one touchdown. Um you know, scored had, had one scoring play or one scoring drive the whole game. So you can't feel too great about it. But we did move the ball. We did a lot of things. It was uh, through the air. It was contested catches. It was winning one-on-one battles. So, yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. You've got to, from their perspective, have to feel really good. And then even a guy like DeAndre Buford, he was, you know, plugged into that left tackle spot uh, late because of um, – you know, some questions about uh, health with Horsey. So, and, and he held up really, really well. And Stoops even commented today in his press conference about it, like really singled him out as a guy that just stepped up. Um, so, yeah, a lot, a lot going into next week. You know, it would have been really, really scary to get, you know, just absolutely worn out by Georgia and then know you got to come back next week and play Louisville. And you're like, man, I don't know where we're at. And then you get Vanderbilt beats – I mean, they beat Florida pretty easily Saturday, really. They were up two scores late. I mean, they should have, you know. So, uh, you know, it's still a bad loss. I, I'm not I'm not trying to use hindsight to, to make up for that at all. But that's not a terrible team. And that's a team – I think I may have said it to you. Like, I think that's going to be a pretty solid team going forward. Now they're not going to be top of the SEC by any means, but they're not they're not going to be a layup like they've been the last few years for everybody. Um, so I don't know, man. Lot, I mean, positive vibes, a lot a lot to feel good about going into Saturday in a game that is just, you know, it's always a big game when you play Tennessee. But the difference, especially with how this season's gone, between being seven and five um, and being six and six is just massive, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, before we hop into this Louisville game, uh, it's it was kind of Stoops had commented on this about the long drives that don't end in points and how much that hurts. And and you did see that in the first uh, quarter, well, first half, really, in particular. The first drive of the game, like I said, you get out of the back of your end zone, you flip the field at least. It was uh, 11 plays for 64 yards. You get no points. It ends on downs. The very next drive, you go 13 plays. It was the longest uh, in terms of plays. It was the longest drive of the day but Will throws a pick in the end zone. They had the ball for 10 minutes. And the last thing I do want to mention from this game before we do get into Louisville, because I, I think it matters for the Louisville game, and I wanted to get your take on it. Uh, Will Levis discovered his legs again. Started running yeah. football. He, uh, I don't know, I can't remember how many of those were designed, but he was he was much more willing that game to scramble, and he picked up multiple first downs when he decided to keep the ball. I don't know if that was a trial run here. I don't know if Will reached a point where he said to hell with it, it's the end of the season. I've basically made it through. Like, let me let me do what I do. It was refreshing, Kalen. And as much as I can understand the logic behind maybe why they wanted to limit his usage this year in the running game, it does feel like they really – I mean, I think it's obvious to say they really missed that element of his game this year. Yeah, they missed that element. They probably missed that opportunity earlier in the year too to, to make that happen. I mean, once he got injured – at Ole Miss with the toe, he, you know, he's never been the same. Um, and I talked to the people, you know, talked to some people that are really close to him on, on Saturday. And I didn't realize how bad his injury situation was and how much, you know, quote unquote treatment he has to receive, like before the game, during the game, halftime, after the game. I mean, it's, it's 
unbelievable that he that he has shown up every week. I mean, it's it really is unbelievable. So, you know, just like you're seeing a lot of these NFL guys talking and saying, "Hey, the fact that he's doing what he's doing with getting beat up like he is, still showing up, still, you know, being that guy." that shows us as much as anything. We we're not worried about some of the plays he's made, you know, interceptions or whatever. We like what we see from that perspective and you know, I, after having those conversations, I had an even greater appreciation for him uh for sure. But yeah, I, I think now at this point in the season, which is crazy to say, and Stoops I think alluded to it in his presser today, he's his legs are better than they have been since early, early in the season. Um, and he's, he's still banged up. So that's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, but, yeah, the, the fact that that he kind of looked like his old self where he's running around doing some of that stuff. I mean, the Josh Allen comparisons are st- – like, you hate to keep making that, but it's so accurate. I was watching um, the Browns and Bills yesterday, and, man, Josh Allen was just – something would break down or he would escape the pocket or step up in the pocket. And, you know, he looked let will the way will was last season, LSU game, Louisville game, all that, that looked just like what you're seeing from Josh Allen. So, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I think we'll see some of that next week. Um, If nothing else, Louisville has got to prepare for that now. I mean, it was a pretty much a foregone conclusion the last few weeks that Levis wasn't was a statue back there because he had to be, uh, and I think now you're going to see Louisville have to prepare for that. So, no, it, it was great to see. It's got to be more fun for him. That's his natural kind of playing style. So, uh, yeah, I think he's I think he's willing to just kind of let it all let it all hang out there this week and and see what happens. The narratives coming into this game interest me quite a bit. Uh, this is a Louisville team that I think most people within, I mean, not just like fans of both fan bases, I think like national media members thought that Scott Satterfield was dead in the water on October 1st when they lost a game to Boston College by one point. A Boston College team that I think has won like two or three games this season. They, the report came out there about, you know, if, if they yes. lose to Syracuse, he's done. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they got blown out to open the season by Syracuse, thirty-one to seven. Yeah, had a tough win on the road at UCF. It's a it's a, a solid UCF team. Uh, yeah. in the American Athletic Conference, lost at home in a nail biter, and then blew out South Florida. And then after that Boston College loss, I mean, it's been it's when they turn their season around. The schedule, I'm not going to say they've played you know a murderer's row. Uh, they do get credit for a top 10 win against Wake Forest in one of the strangest third quarters I've ever seen. I think they had six turnovers in one quarter. They forced yeah. six turnovers. Um, they won, Kalen, coming into this game, they have won five of six. The only loss was at Clemson. And in those five wins, they've won every game by double digits. So they've had some style points to it. Um, the vibes are good. Scott's going to be back for another year. It's, it's locked up at this point. And uh, for Kentucky, I mean – I had people tweeting at me on Saturday saying that, you know, the season's a failure regardless. It doesn't matter what happens. And I just wholeheartedly disagree. Not with the fact that the season has been, you know, quote unquote, I would say it's been disappointing failures. If they finish seven and five, I would would say disappointment. Like I felt like all year, if they won fewer than eight games, it was a disappointment. So I would fairly label it as that. But for what 90, how many, how many college football teams would you say like legitimately have a chance to, to win a like championship. I mean, it's a low number. Yeah. I mean, coming into the season. Yeah. I mean, you got what, like 12 teams, 10 teams, maybe that you think like realistically might, but yeah. win a national title. If that oh, national title. Yeah. I mean, you probably more like four, six, seven, maybe. Yeah. I mean, if you count, you know, a team like, uh, I got TCU's coming out of nowhere. I would say this year, first year. Right. And I still season. think like, uh, you know, if if they play Georgia or Ohio State, it uh, could get ugly for them. I think yeah. Tennessee was in that picture for a lot of the year, but oh, thank, thank God one time. I mean, I, I, I oh God, I cannot stand Shane Beamer. Uh, I wanted to like him early, and then it just this season, like I, he's he's definitely in my top or in my bottom three, I guess I would call it. Um, 
But man, I was rooting hard for the Gamecocks on Saturday. I get home from the game, and it was it was really good to see that. Yeah, you know, Tennessee eat a little crow. That wasn't good for the soul. And I loved. I, I'm with you on Beamer. It's like I find them annoying. Uh, with that said, with some of the and I get it, like hypo. I don't know. I know Tennessee fans probably love it, but like running trick plays when you're at 40 points on FCS teams and just yeah. like running the score up on teams to see Beamer still just like telling Spencer Rattler to air it out because he knew Tennessee couldn't stop it while they were up by 25 for one week. Shane Beamer was all right. I would yeah. Say. Uh, for one day, one day, for one day, for one day. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so, so stunning. I mean, I, I keep up with college football quite a bit. Uh, Tennessee was like a 22 point favorite that game and to lose by 25. I mean, what a, yeah. I don't know how many times that happens where, I mean, you know, you see upsets, teams that are big. But a 47-point swing. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> the fact that you were favored to win by three touchdowns and you lost by 25. I think they scored a late touchdown, right? Tennessee did. Like, they did, yeah. Very late in the game. So, a total ass whooping down there in Columbia. Um, I don't know how we got off on that subject. Well, we, we were yeah, we were talking <laughs> about teams that legit have a chance to win a title. I mean, it's – Oh, yeah, it, yeah. Such a small number. Yeah, so so my thing would be like if you're a college football fan and especially a Kentucky fan, sure you can have dreams of getting to Atlanta, but like to me, what makes a season is like beating the teams that you know, like to me, it's beating Tennessee or, or Louisville every yeah. year. It's something you want to do. Uh, maybe maybe Florida, like to an extent, has gotten in that mix, but it's not it's not really the same. I mean, Florida's like they just held UK under the thumb for so long that now to see Kentucky consistently beat them, it's pretty cool. But this game is, I think, one last chance, I think, for Stoops to, to rally the troops. And I think we'll have an episode next week, I'm sure, with with whatever uh, Mark chooses to do with this coaching staff. I would be surprised if he doesn't make any kind of move, but who knows when that will come. This is one last week for everybody on this team to get together to rally for the senior class who has been here, the guys like DeAndre Square, uh, Jordan Wright. Um, I know there's Kenneth Worsey. There's many other seniors who have been a part of, you know, probably the golden years for most of us who, who are alive right now uh, who have seen this. And I think it's a chance to send those guys out on the right foot. And I think too, from what I see from Louisville media members that I follow and the, and the message boards that I read, one really sore sticking point for Scott Satterfield has been how uncompetitive they have been against Kentucky in the last two games. The final scores have been blowouts. And I want to say, Somehow Louisville was favored last year going into that game. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can't remember in 2019 if they were favored, but I do think they they were already in a bowl. I mean, they had had a better than expected season going into that game, and it was expected to be competitive. And neither game has been so far. Um, so I think to kind of maintain momentum within this series, and people feel good about Satterfield over there right now. I think everyone knows he's coming back, but – to me, like if I were on this other side, I would kind of be looking at this like we're kind of rolling into this game. We've won five out of six, whatever it is. Kentucky has not lived up to expectations whatsoever. This needs to be a game that we win. So I'm not going to get into like who is it more important for because I think it's a rivalry game. Like you would be kidding yourself if you don't think both sides would love to win this game, whether you've won one game all season or ten games. Like it always yeah. matters to be Louisville. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I mean, I do – I'm not going to speak from Louisville's side of things um, at all, but I I do think it is a massive game for us. I mean, I think we really, really, really need to the win here. Um, the quality of bowl is going to be a lot different. Seven wins versus six. Uh, the momentum in the uh, just a lot of things. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's really important. Um, and then I you know the the. There are you said storylines going into this. I mean, the, the other big storylines you kind of briefly spoke on. You know, the coaching situation. Like, what if Kentucky goes out there and puts up thirty-five points for the first time this year um, against a Power Five team? And uh, does that save his job? I mean, one should one game save his job? Is his job even on the line right now? I mean, you know, there's a lot of things we don't know that presumably we will have answers to, you know, in the next five days uh, at this point. So, yeah, man, it's I, – I think it's a big one. I really do. Um, and they've got a lot of momentum recruiting-wise, not head-to-head -head against us, which is crazy because they're 60 miles away. <laughs> but 
yeah, they got a lot of momentum right now. We're, you know, we've said, well, how can they do this? And we can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I do think it'd be big to, to smack them again this year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, Louisville, kind of the calling card this year, which is a big change from years past. I mean, they were awful those first three years on defense under Satterfield. Now they've just kind of become a a takeover machine, a a turnover machine. I mean, excuse me. They have, uh, I think, not lead the country in turnovers forced, something like that. I was was listening to Mark Stoops' presser today. Um, and it helps whenever you have six and one quarter, like they did against Wake Forest. But a team that tries to get opponents behind the chains have been successful at that this season. It'll be a different game this year. I mean, probably the most clear evidence of Kentucky's superior recruiting over the last few years against Louisville was was just how clear the lines, especially on offense. The offensive line, I mean, there's just nothing Louisville could do. Uh, you know, you had Levis run for four touchdowns last year. I think they probably could have dropped back and let him throw the ball all night too, if you wanted to. I mean, it's kind yeah. of, you could beat them however you wanted to last year, and it was that way and in 2019 as well when Kentucky, I think, threw like one pass and it was just for fun at the end of the game just to try to run it up a little bit more. Um, and then 18, I mean, that that game, it kind of was what it was. I mean, Petrino had already been fired. That was, you know, they weren't right. They were awful. They went two and ten. But for the first year in a while, it. it it does seem I've been wrong on my take something because I thought these games would be close the last few years, full disclosure, and they haven't been. I do think it's if Kentucky's gonna win this game, I would be surprised if it's because it ran for 300 yards. So whenever you do look at kind of how Louisville's defense has played this year, what concerns, if any, uh, do you have about this matchup? I mean, I think you have to have some just given how uh, how bad yeah. the offense has been. Well, my my biggest concern is their pass rush. They're they're actually really good um up front at, at creating some havoc in the backfield and coincidentally or non-coincidentally uh Kentucky's offensive line has given up more sacks than anybody in I don't know power five football maybe it, it was at one time um everyone would believe you whether it's true or not yeah you. exactly <laughs> so uh so that's a concern I mean it, it's that's a that's to me that is the biggest piece of that um yeah I don't know. I do think – now, it's easy for us to point to the Georgia game and say, wow, the offensive line held up really well. Because they did. Now, let's give them some credit. But Georgia, the style that they play, they're not bringing a bunch of guys. Um, they're not doing a bunch of exotic blitzes, playing games up front, things like that. They're more playing you straight up at the line of scrimmage. Um, and then, you know – saying you're not going to be this deep, you're not going to be able to put a drive together against us, you're not going to be able to consistently run the ball against us, whatever. So there's no reason to put to put ourselves in one-on-one situations where, you know, you have a 50-50 chance of doing something. So, yes, they held up well. But I will also say they went – they seemed like they were in the shotgun a lot more. Um, I don't know those numbers, but it seemed like they were in the shotgun a lot more against Georgia – seemed a lot more comfortable back there. And it seemed like they were getting the ball out fairly quickly, um, which I think you'll see a lot uh, next week as well. So those are some ways to negate the pass rush, obviously, um, or to try to to help with that. Also, the screen game. Um, everybody gets torn out of pieces when we run – when we, you know, throw screen, screen, screen. But that's – that's one of the ways that you negate a pass rush. I mean, that, that's the whole idea is they get upfield. It takes those guys out of the play. You have your offensive linemen essentially, you know, quick check on those guys and then get to the next level. So you've taken three to four guys of their defense out of the play, and now you're running your ten guys that are left over on their, you know, seven guys that are left over. <laughs> so, I mean, just by sheer math, that's strategically that's a good 
a good play or a good um, strategy against a, a pass rush. Now, what's happened most of the time is there's one guy that will miss a block. I mean, you literally can go back and watch the film, and it's hat on hat. Oh, this guy did a great job getting to the second level. They combo like you can see it all. And there's one guy every time. So clean that up. You know, you could see a big play or two out of the screen game next week. I think because they're going to have to do it, whether the fans like it or not. You're going to see the screen game next week. Well, it also seems to like just again. I kind of got off my memory here of watching the game in the stands on Saturday, like. Georgia, what like you said, like they were playing Kentucky more straight up. This was not a team that was sending six, seven consecutively, you know, repeatedly at Will Levis. Whereas I think Louisville, in order to kind of create that havoc, they do have to send more bodies. It's, you know, their players are not as good as Georgia. I think everybody understands that. So I do think in terms of of running some of those screenplays, it could be more successful against a team that's that's bringing more numbers um, at Will. On the flip side, I have thought this all season. Maybe I'll prove, be proven wrong on Saturday. Whether it is Malik Cunningham at quarterback or Brock Doman, I have felt like Louisville has very few guys that scare you. Um, I'm speaking here SEC relative because I don't know if Evans is going to play the running back. Um, that is his name, right? The guy who transferred yes. to Tennessee. Yeah. I know he's been in and out of the lineup. They played uh, Jordan. Uh, who had a good game against NC State. They have some depth at running back, but I think they've lost like two guys who have quit uh, or gone to the portal, whatever. Cooley and uh, I think one other guy is gone. But Tyler Hudson, is a he's a fine receiver. He's had a good year for them. Do I think he's like – I don't know if this is a hot take. I think like Vanderbilt's number one dude is probably better than him, though. Will Shepard is a player. Like, that oh, that's an NFL receiver. He's an yeah. NFL receiver. So, like, I don't really view Tyler Hudson in terms of – you know, who Kentucky has played as someone that like really scares me for Saturday. So I have felt good for a long time about Kentucky matching up well against, uh, against Louisville's offense. And again, maybe I'll end up being proven wrong on that, but like Cunningham has been, I don't know how Louisville fans feel about it, but like he has been awful in this series. He's not made it through oh. a game. He's either got knocked out or been ineffective. Um, Doman is, is a little different. Did he, I think he might've, no, I think it was still cooler. Conley, I think Evan Conley got in last year. So yeah. I don't think Kentucky's seen uh, Doman, but and he's been okay. I mean, in in games, but to me, for Kentucky, like if this game is a twenty-one seventeen-ish type game, which it seems like it's going to have to be for Kentucky to win, like who do you feel better about kind of playing those kinds of games in the mud, like Kentucky or or, or Satterfield? You know, like head to head, the chops. I kind of feel like. I still like Kentucky in that sense. Like, yeah. to me, I'm kind of leaning UK still, but like, I, I have respect for like what Louisville's done this season, the way they turned it around. Maybe I, uh, I don't know. I just feel like, uh, who, like, who's it going to be easier? Which team will it be easier to score against? I, I think that's kind of the question well, I pose. Like, I don't know yeah. if it's going to be find it to be all that easy. Right, and you've almost been, you've almost had to throw matchups out the window the last two years because on paper had just hasn't matched up with what's happened on the field. I mean, we've just out, like, I'm not, you know, not being arrogant, but we've just outclassed them on the field by far. Um, I think, I honestly think I would rather have, I mean, be careful what you wish for. Right. But I would rather have Malik Cunningham play because we kind of know the blueprint there with Bowman. They have been much more, um, they relied on the run much more and they're kind of more of the traditional style of, of football. Um, whereas with Cunningham, they try to get too cute sometimes, I think. And that plays into Kentucky because we've been so much more physical than they have. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, I do feel good theoretically from, uh, us stopping the run, but I, I just think we don't know. Uh, and that's, you know, it's not a good answer, but there's just so many unknowns in this matchup because we don't play common opponents. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard to say. So I think if we, if we stop the run, then I don't know that he can sit back there and pick us apart uh, with his arm. But they do have some athletes, man, and if they get – 
you know, just like Vanderbilt, for instance, a few chunk plays, it changes everything because I'm not confident in anything we're going to do offensively at the end of the day. I just, you know, like 21 points seems like a lot of points for us to score at this point, which is insane. Um, But that's just kind of where we are, you know? So I don't know. I think we're a four point favorite at last I saw. Uh, And I think that's probably pretty fair right now. Um, it could go a few different ways and it wouldn't surprise me, but I think Louisville's going to be ready to play and they're going to be, oh, yeah. you know, I think, I do think, and I've always said this about Satterfield. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a really good X's and O's guy. And I think he does a good job scheming up game plans. I think the big question mark with him has always been, in my opinion, is he more suited to be a great, you know, non-power five coach or can he coach talent up? It's kind of the Tubby Smith, uh, you know, comparison in basketball. Tubby was great whenever he didn't have the best players on the floor. When he had to get the best players on the floor and things like that, they were still good, but sometimes you had UAB games and some, you know, the the competition always had a shot. I mean, you know, it was – so it's different to play from that position. I, I've always felt that way about Satterfield. It's fun to rag on him as a Kentucky fan, but I've always thought he he's a pretty good coach. Um, you know, I don't it's know if he's just, a power five guy. It, it's just fit with him. I mean, he's a guy who spent the majority of his career, like you're talking about, outside of the power five in North Carolina. He has done a, a good job saving his job this year, I would say. Yeah. Like, I would still – I guess I'm still a little curious moving forward. Like, will that ever really become home for him? Or will he always kind of – I mean, people were pissed over there after they had that rough season in 2020, and he tried to bounce. Tried to go, yeah, yeah, tried to go to he NC State to or wherever yeah. it was, yeah. Yeah, I think it was like South Carolina he was looking at. Yeah, so, yeah. I think they've slow – I think he's kind of slowly built back some of that trust. And, I mean, he's got to get – he's going to get an extension for sure after this. I mean, Lowell's aren't going to fire a coach who could potentially. I mean, they still have up until Saturday. I mean, they still have nine and four on the table after a ball game, which would be a, a huge turnaround kind of from where they've been. Um, special teams, I'll be blunt. I don't know much about uh, Louisville's special teams unit. I just know Kentucky's is not very good. And uh, <laughs> I hope that it does not get to a scenario that Mark, uh, Matt Ruffalo, I almost said Mark Ruffalo, Matt Ruffalo, is counter not necessarily because of you know mad because the whole operation is just bad and i think those yeah. dudes are just so in their head at this point in the season where they know every time they go out there i mean they did make three against vanderbilt but then the one chance they had last week i mean the snap was credit or yeah i mean it was literally rolled to him he got it and got it down unfortunately the laces were facing matt and it was uh i'm sure his timing was a little thrown off just because of the whole operation and he kicked it into the blue lot over there. Um, yeah. So that's tough. Um, in these last few years, it's not really mattered that much on special teams because the game's been out of hand. But this year, if you're expecting a close fourth quarter game, I mean, all that stuff matters. Um, is there anything else on this game you kind of want to hit on before we talk about some other news that came out uh, yesterday? No, I don't think so, man. I, there's just so many unknowns when it comes to this. I don't think – you know, anybody that, that says they know what's going to happen is just guessing, in my opinion. Um, and so I, I think we just have to see kind of see what happens and then see what the fallout is from that. I mean, that's it's going to be an interesting, you know, next five, six days. I think for Kentucky fans, depending on how good you might feel about this game, might be how you view the ACC. I think some people are discrediting kind of what Louisville has done this year based on the schedule it's played. Um, and it's been a weird year in the SEC East. I mean, clearly Georgia was the top of the class like we expected. Tennessee did the best job outside of that. But when you throw South Carolina, Vandy, Florida, and Missouri all in kind of in the mix, it was uh, they all kind of beat up on each other. I've not sat down and done the transitive property stuff, but I'm sure it's a very strange season in the SEC East this year. Um, but the news that came out yesterday, I want to credit John Hill from the Lexington Herald Leader, the first time I've said that on here. It used to be the Courier-Journal. Um he was checking out – I don't know if he got a tip or what, but he was checking out the uh, Office of Legal Counsel where all of UK's contracts for all the sports 
Uh, they all live on a website if you want to go check that out. But a new contract, which was signed by Mark Stoops the day before the Vanderbilt loss. But Kalen, this deal, I believe, will keep him here through 2031. He will earn, um, I think, $8.6 million per year. That's the base salary that he's going to make through that 2030 season. He still has some incentives, things like that. Um, no, I'm sorry, it's a $9 million deal starting in February through June 2031, so through the 2030 season. This is a big commitment. I think John Story said it would put him like sixth right now, and that's probably bound to change because other coaches will get deals or whatnot. But I had heard – I feel pretty comfortable saying this at this point from like national media people that I either talk to directly or indirectly – like it was out there in the coaching community that Stoops might have been looking around back in October. Going by this timeline, like he said today, it sounds like they'd been working on an extension. So I don't know if that was just coaching fodder that wasn't true that was out there, or if something happened within that month where he kind of had a change of heart and wanted to kind of go all in here at Kentucky. But to me, Kalen, this is the first time where I felt like after this contract was signed, like I think he's going to retire at Kentucky. Yeah, it, it sure seems that way, and and I'll say I think I think two things were at play here. One, he's got the best college football coaching agent in the world in Jimmy Sexton. I mean, he, that guy is a wizard when it comes to floating rumors, um, getting whatever leverage he needs to be able to get to get his coaches more money. And that's his job. So, I mean, good, like, I'm not saying that in a negative way. Like, the guy's unbelievable. And it's well-known in, in coaching circles. He even got a shout-out today during the uh, press yeah. conference. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's unreal, man. Uh, so, that I think Jimmy Sexton is, is at play here quite a bit. And then the other piece is I think that's around the same time that the NIL um, situation was really starting to get worked out in a way that was going to be very positive with the new collective and, and things like that. Um, so I think both those things happened. I from I know some folks that are really close to Stoops and they all have have maintained throughout the whole thing that he's never he's not going anywhere. Um, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. I've heard this. They're like, man, I promise you, he's not going anywhere. Um, but maybe, you know, they were giving gag orders and had to promise to say that to anybody that ever asked. So, I, you know, I took that somewhat with a grain of salt, but knowing those guys, you know, he has those guys' ears. Um, so, yeah, man, I I don't know. Maybe he did inquire about Nebraska or Auburn or, you know, some of those other jobs that are already available. But either way, $9 million a year as a Kentucky football coach is something I never thought I would say um, in the year of our Lord 2020. I mean, I just did not – like, that seems unbelievable to me. But I'm here for it, man. Love it. Like, I absolutely – does he deserve to be the sixth highest-paid coach in the country based on what he's done? Probably not. But just to see Kentucky – football again Kentucky football make that kind of commitment financially publicly right off the heels of this NIL situation where you know that we started a new collective and you are you kind of already heard that Barry and Brown and um Deion Walker are reaping benefits from that like I think it's a huge shot in the arm to the program and some people are saying oh you know it's ridiculous he's making more money than Cal I don't care what Cal makes. Like they can pay Cal twenty million. I don't care. Like that does that's irrelevant to me. I know football kind of drives the steers the ship in a lot of ways financially, but I don't like I don't you don't have to compare it to what Stoops is making. I mean to what Cal's making. I know people will and I get why they do, but I just don't I don't care. I don't think that matters. I think the overall overarching theme here is the commitment that we've seen from the administration to Kentucky football. Uh, and on the back of that, we've got the new practice facility, the indoor practice facility that the money's there. It's earmarked. It's done. It's going to start as soon as the season's over. It's going to start uh, construction. So those are three big pieces 
that they're kind of all in on right now, which I, I just think is, is incredible. Um, so that's my thought on it. I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, it's not about necessarily does he deserve that much or not deserve that much or to be that sixth highest or whatever. It's just, to me, it's like, I don't care. I love to see they're doing this for Kentucky football. Yeah. I tweeted this and it's what I believe. Like, I think, when you have the expanded SEC coming, I think Mitch Barnhart probably looked at this as and probably smart to do so. You don't really want to be Kentucky football and be on kind of unstable ground moving into what we all believe will be a much more competitive Southeastern Conference with Texas and Oklahoma coming in for the 2025 season. In terms of the money figure, I wouldn't be surprised if you look up in two years and this is just like middle of the road SEC money with the new with how much money will be coming into the league after that. To me, this was probably the first step. And what's going to happen here, and it's what we've already seen people talking about, it's like you're paying your head coach $9 million. How much money are you going to have to your assistants? Because one of the things I think under Stoops that Mitch, and I think Stoops has certainly lobbied for this, but like they have been very competitive for the most part with coaching salaries. I mean, you have Brad White who's set to make 1.5 million next year. You're paying a recruiting coordinator and Vince Mara over a million dollars. Uh, Rich is, I think like right at 900,000 this year set to make a million next year. If he's here, who uh, doesn't really matter if it's him or someone else, like the coordinator, I'm almost, I would be shocked at the offensive coordinator hire. If there is a new one, I'd be surprised if it's under 1.3 million or something like that. Like there's yeah. going to be money here to spend, um, on the staff. And to me, if you're looking for any kind of reassurance, like I wouldn't view it in the sense like, well, we're, we're giving 9 million to the head coach. Like, is there going to be enough for, for other people? One Stoops isn't going to sign that if it's any kind of contingency at all, that more of the money is going to go to him. And then two, like, to me, if you're a school investing in a head coach, if you're saying this coach to us is worth $9 million to be our football coach, I think you're going to kind of trust him to make the moves that he sees fit and money is not going to be a huge deal when it comes to that. So I do think probably when we get back on here next week and chat it up, we'll see if there's been any kind of movement. And I, I would be surprised if we're not talking assistant coaching and, and one, you know, frame or the other, because either he's going to fire rich after this week or probably come out and say, he's going to come back. You know what I mean? Like you're probably not going to be in a limbo this time next week. I think you'll probably know. Uh, if I had to put odds out there, I think I would right now handicap it at 60, 40, firing rich and probably and this is just me like and probably 75 25 firing yenzer i'd probably go a little higher on scan i think he's probably toast you think so i I just have a hard like i just know kind of how stoops is um i don't know it's I, I'm ready for it to happen. I think it's yeah, taken me a long, yeah, yeah, it's taken me a long time to get here. Um, <laughs> I think we were mostly on the same page. I said like yeah. up until Vanderbilt, I was willing to make excuses for Rich, and even if he does get fired, and we can talk about this next week, depending on what happens. But like, I'm still not gonna blame all these circumstances on him. Like he he walked no. into a situation that was probably not as ready made as what I would have thought, what a lot of people would have thought. At the end of the day, though with what they did have to work with only scoring 14 points per game against sec opponents, or I think maybe the sec East opponents. The the real damning thing in my eyes is that you did face two teams in Tennessee and Vanderbilt that were terrible against the pass and you could barely muster a hundred yards passing. It just didn't work, whatever it was. And um, going back to when he, when Stoops fired Eddie Grant, like, do I think he actually wanted to fire Eddie Grant? Like probably oh, not. No. I don't think he knew he had to. That's why Eddie's still around right now. Yeah. So I think it's kind of the same deal with Rich. Like, do I think Stoops thinks it's a good thing for his program to go through a fourth offensive coordinator in four years, potentially a fourth offensive line coach in four years? No, I don't think he believes that. But, like, to me, it's a hard sell to get people – not not that fans matter as much as the players. Like, I think it could be hard to get the players on board with this. For How number. much is it going to set your program back if you have another offensive situation like you had this year is, is my biggest question. And that I think – that's a real concern, and it might be what puts it over the edge at the end of the day. I, I'll, I've given you my like whole take on this before. I'll share it quickly now. It 
I feel like I I still believe, and I believe this. I mean, as long as I live, probably. I think this offensive line should have been average this year. Even knowing what I know now, I think it should have. It was good enough to be average. You can't tell me that Kenneth Horsey, Eli Cox, uh, Tayshawn Manning. You can't tell me those guys are terrible offensive linemen all of a sudden. So, okay, if, if they just didn't overnight become terrible, then what happened? Well, we changed the scheme, changed the terminology, changed the complete identity of what we were doing, which at the time I was on board with because that's his style, that's his – a scheme he wants to call plays based off of that. I mean, I, I, I was okay with it, but knowing kind of what I know now and having talked to some folks around the program, those guys, I think they way overcomplicated things for those guys. I mean, extremely overcomplicated those things. So I think guys were constantly having to try to figure out, okay, where am I now? What do I do next? Where do I go? Who do I block? What's my first step? As opposed to the last five, six years of the quote unquote big blue wall, we've been road graders. We've gotten downhill and we've knocked people in the mouth. We've been the most physical team anybody's played against. And that all went out the window this year due to the scheme change. Terminology is different, all that stuff. Which, again, that's the style. And if it works, it's beautiful. But I think you took a very, very, very complicated system, like we talked about before, and turned it into uh, – or tried to tried to teach it to guys that aren't equipped to, to learn and to execute that kind of system at this point. And the result is what we've seen on the offensive line. I just I, – I do not think that those guys became bad football players overnight. Number one. Number two, I think at some point in the season, you've got to see that this happened. It happened last season with Liam Cohen. He pretty much ditched the outside zone scheme and said, all right, this is not working. I'm coming back to this. He decided I'm going to run my quarterback more. It's not something we do in the NFL, but I can see the value here. He changed a lot of things to adapt to the personnel because things weren't working the way they should have. We didn't see that at all this year. Or if we did, it wasn't noticeable enough to make a difference. So that ultimately falls on the offensive coordinator. Was it all his fault? Whatever. He probably didn't realize how big a jump he was making from the NFL as a quarterback coach to come to college at a Power 5 SEC program and be uh, an offensive coordinator and have the keys to the whole offense. Uh, I just I think it was probably a little bigger than he imagined. Does that mean he's a bad football coach? No. Does that mean he couldn't be a successful offensive coordinator? No. Does that mean he couldn't be successful next year here? No. But to me, that's enough evidence, knowing the skill guys we've had this year, that I'm not willing to take a chance to hope that it works next year. So I'll just get off my soapbox with that one. But that's no. – my thought on the whole thing no i think you summed that up really well like there are a lot of things that could be true did we perhaps overestimate kentucky's personnel to an extent like how young it was how new some of the pieces were i think so potentially i mean i thought this was going to be a very very good offense with will kind of as a trigger man whatever it is i mean like the results are the results and at the end of the day whatever the cause was like ultimately he has to be responsible for his unit they dramatically underperformed to expectations. I mean, I think I think they're down to like ninety third now. And, and there was no improvement. Was the thing there was no yeah. there was never a delta. That's what you look for in these situations. Is things are bad. Things are bad. At some point, it changes and it starts to uptick the other way. And you say, okay, that change led to this positive result here, and we can feel good about things going forward. Not only was there never a delta going in the, in a positive direction, things got worse. And I just I, I just don't think you can I don't think you can roll the dice thinking that things are just going to be better next year when you're not going to have a 
you know, top 10 draft pick at quarterback, you're going to have to go find somebody. You're going to have to go find offensive linemen. I mean, you're going to have some guys back that, that you like, but it's going to be the same offensive line at worst. So I, mean, I, I just don't think you roll the dice there. But I, I didn't mean to get off on this completely, but, like, that's kind of where I am. I mean, and hopefully, you know, next week we have the answer and then we're, we can figure out if we can justify it one way or the other. I mean, I do think it puts a lot of pressure on Stoops. He, uh, to me, he's he's been he's been hit or miss on some of his OC hires. Neil Brown was hard to judge because of the personnel that was there. I think he and his staff, though Stoops, all those guys, I thought they did a really good job getting talent in pretty quickly. I mean, really after you no, know, that was back in the days where you didn't have your signing period until February for a new staff. It wasn't as much of an uphill task to still get some good players. I mean, pretty much any good player they got in that class in 2013, outside of like Austin McGinnis. I think Nick Haynes might have been – and Blake McClain. Some of those guys were still committed under Joker. But, like, they had time to get the Jeff Bidettes, Ryan Timmons uh, on defense, but, like, Jason Hatcher, Marcus McWilson. They did a good job. And by the end of that 2014 class, like, you had guys on campus. Shannon Dawson didn't work. Uh, Stoops quickly got rid of him. And then Eddie was – Eddie was successful. I mean, however his tenure ended, he saved, in my opinion, Mark Stoops' job. I mean, that's why I think it was such a hard thing for – for Mark to move on. Cause I, I do think he was incredibly grateful for all the challenges that he faced and still they played winning football. I mean, you're, you think you got drew Barker for three seasons starting. He gets hurt really his first start in 2016. I know he started some games at the end of the 2015 season, but like to go to a Juco quarterback and Steven Johnson who had never played and, and to win games those next two years, fine. Like, that's when they actually established an identity. Eventually it got to be kind of too far on that side where you couldn't really throw the ball at all by the time Eddie got fired, but by any measure, it was a successful tenure. I think there's a chance we're going to look back in five years and be like, how in the world did Mark Stoops discover Liam Cohen and make that hire? Because Liam could be an NFL head coach by then. It was really bad luck to lose uh, Liam after one year because clearly they were on the right track last season. That was an offense that had some new pieces, had some good returning players, but it was a top 25 unit. Um really with one truly, truly good wide receiver, a pretty good number two in Josh Ali uh, and a great running back and and Chris and a good offensive line and a first-year starter and Will did a good job. This year feels a lot like Shannon Dawson. It just didn't – I think the logic in getting to Rich Scandarello was sound. I would – I never had any complaints with it back when – No, I don't hate the hire at all. Still yeah. don't. I mean, I think it made sense, but it just didn't work. And that's always the risk you're going to have when you're hiring a new coach. So – I think you won't – it made sense to stick with this tree because of uh, Will, and if you could kind of maybe get a pop line into this, I don't see him sticking with this pro style moving forward. Do you – like I think – and again, we can get into this next week perhaps if there is a move, but I feel like he's not going to go back to this tree a third time. I think you're going to see something uh, a little different. I don't know what that will be ultimately, but – when you don't have uh, an NFL quarterback to kind of account for already on the roster, I think you're going to have to uh, maybe go something a little bit more with what we're used to seeing in college, but, you know, kind of that modern spread. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's it, That's going to be a fascinating turn as well to kind of see where this goes from here. Does he want more of a spread? Does he want a mobile quarterback? I mean, does he – it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Um his nature is so defensive and controlling the clock and physical and those kinds of things that we're, we're going to, we're going to see, I mean, what's he, you know, what's he willing to do? Um, what's he thinks best for the squad here? So yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating uh, at the end of the day. I do feel like um, people have to realize that there's going to be a give and take. I mean, if, we're going to be more offensive minded, more tempo, um, things like that, then you're going to see some inflated defensive numbers compared to what we have now. We can still have this. The defense could be just as good, but it, it's going to look a little bit different uh, defensively. So people just have to have to be ready for that. And Stoops has got to be okay with that at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Um I don't love coaching searches for the wrong reasons, but I love them for the right reasons. Uh, and I think, you know, this would be for the right reasons. Yeah. I mean, I do feel bad for the human element involved. Like I don't have any doubts that Rich has put a lot of work 
and the other coaches. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. I, mean, I think they've tried hard uh, to be successful. The flip side, and this doesn't make it any easier, I suppose, but, like, these guys are paid incredibly well to yes. uh, try to find the answers, and they're not going to be out on the streets. Uh, I'll say that if they are let go. But, Kaylin, I think that's probably a good stopping point for today. Um, not really sure what the recording schedule will be. Um, but with Thanksgiving on Thursday, I'll be heading home. I hope all of our listeners who if you guys made it this far, well, I know we really appreciate it. And I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, and then a huge game Saturday. Hopefully the guys come out rally one more time and, and keep the governor's cup home for the fourth straight year. Um, I think that's what everybody wants to see. And then whatever happens after that, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, but, uh, Kalen, thanks once again for joining me, uh, for Kalen Harris, I'm Derek Terry, and we'll see you next time on Kentucky Daily.